So this is the last week of the sermon series, Reconnect, Renewing Your Relationships in a World That Pulls Them Apart, and whether it's marriage or extended family, adult children, parents, uh, co-workers, church friends, school friends, etc., the stress of the past several years has taken its toll on our relationships, hasn't it? Uh, the stress of the COVID pandemic and then our political situation on top of that, and, and then, like I said in the prayer, the news just keeps rolling out. You're like, if, if, a, if a movie... It was released from Hollywood that had this kind of a script. We wouldn't believe it, would we? But this is real life. These are the times that we've been living in and the division, the rancor, the propaganda. And then many of us have been in a spiritual journey over the past few years, kind of figuring out what we believe, maybe re-examining what we believe, maybe having our beliefs clarified for us. Maybe we've realized what we don't want to be over the past few years. And, And so we've been on this journey and that constraint relationships, all of these things tend to pull our relationships apart. Now, there are some relationships that really can't be saved. This isn't the kind of church where it's all black and white, and and I just want to give simplistic answers to complex questions and just act like it's easy, and, and not all relationships can be saved. You can do everything you can. You can live at peace with everyone as far as it depends on you, as Paul said. You can, you can clean your side of the street, as my friends in recovery would say, and that doesn't mean that every relationship can be saved, but the ones that can be saved, we do want to renew those and see how we can reconnect with those people. And so this series has been about learning new skills, learning what scripture has to say about relationships and, 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 and psychology and, and seeing how we can strengthen our relationships. Every week I've given you an action point, a small step at the end of the sermon. And if you've missed some of these weeks, you can go back and, and watch these on, on our YouTube uh, a channel. But on week one, we said the action step was that in a conflict you're currently experiencing, what need are you trying to express and what need is the other person trying to express? Conflict is an opportunity to meet each other's needs. That's a revolutionary view of conflict. So if your relationships are struggling, I just want to review to just kind of hammer this home. What need are you trying to express in conflict, and what need is the other person trying to express? On week two, we said the action step was in your communication with somebody this week. Which area could you grow in? And we talked about three areas, being forthright, being honest and upfront about what's going on, not gossiping, not telling other people about it, not building alliances, but going straight to that person and saying, you know what, I value our relationship, and I just need to be honest with you. I just need to clear the air. Is it being forthright? Is it being fair? Is it honoring their dignity as a human being and being kind to them and, and, and not attacking them, but, but paying attention to how we communicate? Is it fair or is it forgiving? Is it actually letting something go? And we talked about what forgiveness isn't. Forgiveness is not excusing something, like it's no big deal. 
Forgiveness is not trust. Forgiveness can be instant, but trust is, is earned over time, isn't it? Or re-earned over time. And it's also um, not forgetting. Even though that's a cliche, your brain may not let you totally forget what happened. You don't want to ruminate on it, of course. But even if your brain doesn't let you forget, you, you can still forgive. And forgiveness means to just release the other person. Just to say, you know what, I'm not going to imprison you for this. And at the same time, you also free somebody else when you forgive. And who is that person? Yourself. And so that's what forgiveness is. And then last week, we said the action step was, which one of the five T's was something you could try this week? To tune into your own emotions, to trust, uh, to trust that person, to schedule time with that person, to talk in a way that shows love and respect, or physical touch in an, in an appropriate way. And we talked about the five T's when it comes to experiencing a deeper emotional connection with the people you love last week. So I just wanted to review those because it's important. You know, I, I don't want these just to be cute sermons. And maybe they're not even cute. I don't know. But I, I, want, I want this to be something that we can really hear from Scripture and think, you know, no, I do want to maximize my relationships. And then today we're talking about compassion, both giving and receiving kindness. We live in difficult times. And it seems, to me at least, and see if, if you agree, it seems like our society is getting colder. Does it feel that way? More divided over time. Like, it's just, getting, it's just getting colder, more hostile. We see violent rhetoric ramping up, extremist talk. There's a guy from my home state of Ohio who attacked an FBI office this week and, and, and was shot in the middle of a cornfield. I know, I've driven that freeway many times. I know where that happened because he's believed all of the garbage, the propaganda. That's the kind of time that we're living in. And then have you seen viral stories of people assaulting retail workers or servers at a restaurant or flight attendants. And doesn't it just seem like society's coming unglued at times? Mass shootings, of course, are up. And as one person said to me recently, it just feels like the past few years have been too much for some people. Like it's just been too much and, and, and some, some folks are just cracking. Today we're going to talk about how we can create kinder relationships with the people closest to us and everybody that we meet. How we can just like dial down the, the temperature in society with kindness and compassion and both give and receive kindness. So uh, let me see if you've ever heard this quote. Be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a battle. Have you heard that? Be kind for everyone you meet is, find, is fighting a battle. It's been misattributed to Plato the Greek philosopher, uh, from Plato to Robin Williams. Uh, the credit has been given you know, for this quote. But it appears that the earliest form was written by a Scottish pastor named John Watson, who wrote under the pen name Ian McLaren. It's from the 1897 Christmas edition of the British Weekly newspaper. And he was a fiction writer who, who normally wrote about life in rural Scotland. And, and just one of his books in the late 1800s sold over 700,000 copies. So this is an incredibly successful fiction writer. But he's also a pastor. And, and the year before he gave this quote in 1897, he had written a, a, a theology book about Jesus called The Mind of the Master. And in that book, he focused on the humanity of Jesus. He didn't deny the divinity of Christ, but he, he, he said... We tend to focus so much on the divinity of Jesus that we don't really focus on the humanity of Jesus. And there were some more fundamentalist people in his denomination 
who thought he was, he was committing heresy. And so they brought charges against him and his denomination of being a heretic, of believing things that are not true about Jesus. And, and the charge was never formally heard by his denomination. They didn't really take it seriously. But some of you could identify with him probably, being called a heretic by people who uh, you love, uh, friends of yours, family. Maybe you just kind of know that's generally true on social media. Maybe you've lost some friends on social media because of that. And then I, it just struck me that it's the very next year after that happened to him that he wrote this phrase, be kind. For everyone you know, everyone you meet is fighting a battle. That every single person we meet, including us, when other people meet us, we're all going through things that we're not aware of. We don't know each other's stories. And, and, and we, just, we know that's true, but we don't think about that a lot. Just like me, we typically think about our own lives and what we're going through. I love my family and my friends and so on, but we're all just, you know, we, we're in survival mode a lot of times in our busyness and we're thinking about ourselves. But be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a battle. I want to read a scripture this morning and, and do my part here, and then we're going to show the interview with, uh, with uh, Chaplain Kerry Wester. Let's read this, this scripture about kindness and compassion from Ephesians chapter 4. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And then verse 32, the author writes, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. You think of the times we live in, and then look at those words in that passage. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient Bearing with one another. Bearing is like carrying. Carrying each other's just baggage and, and putting up with each other. Bearing with one another. Making every effort to keep unity, peace, the bond of peace. Because there's one God who is who over all and in us all. And then he says, be kind and compassionate. So I love defining Greek terms because the New Testament was originally written in Greek. And there are some word pictures you get that are just phenomenal sometimes from the original Greek that may not come across in the translation. And this is definitely true here. So in verse 32, I want to define kindness and compassion. So first of all, kindness in Greek is the Greek word krestoi. Do you want to say it with me? Krestoi. Krestoi. Kind of sounds like Christ, actually. It's, it's just like one letter off. Krestoi. And kindness in Greek means useful, good, or pleasant. Interesting, Okay. And then compassion, and this is just beautiful. In the original literal Greek, it means having good bowels. <laughs> you can see why sermons can be fun sometimes. Compassion in the original Greek means to have good bowels. How's that for a Hallmark card? Happy birthday. You have good bowels. Love. You know, is, do you need more fiber in your diet? What does this mean? So to kindness, to be useful, good, pleasant, and compassion. I love it. To have good bowels. He says, be kind 
and have good bowels. So what, what is going on here? I think we probably understand, maybe, what's going on. We tend to use physical metaphors for the center of our emotion and our character, don't we? From deep inside, you know, in my gut, I just knew there's a place deep inside where I just know this. And then, of course, over the centuries, what we did in our culture, we just took this metaphor and we just moved it up a little bit from the intestines to the heart. And we would say, be kind and have a good heart. That's how we would say it, isn't it? Be a good-hearted person. We know it has nothing to do with the muscle that pumps blood, your cardiovascular system, your cholesterol levels. Be kind and have a good heart. And if we're paraphrasing what that means, there's actually no English word that directly uh, translates kindness there. To be a good person who is also useful and of service. Interesting. So if we're going to paraphrase this, we might paraphrase Ephesians 4.32 like this. Be the kind of person who makes life easier for people because you have a good heart. Isn't that good? In the times we live in, be the kind of person who makes life easier for other people because you have a good heart. Isn't that awesome relationship advice? Be the kind of person who makes life easier for other people because you're a good-hearted person. And it's, it is a command, but the thing we miss about commands is that it's an empowering message. Implied there is, you're able to be that. You are able to do that. Scripture's not commanding you to do something you can't do here. Be the kind of person who makes life easier for the people because you're a good-hearted person. It's, it's like a positive message, like God's saying, I believe in you. Be kind because you're a good-hearted person. You can do this. And who wouldn't want to have a relationship with somebody like that? Well, why does that need to be said? Why, why do we have this command in Ephesians? Why do we need to be reminded of the need for kindness and compassion? Why are they not more common in our culture? There are probably lots of reasons for that. We could spend a lot of time talking about that. But I think one of the reasons is, it seems to me that a lot of times when we actually see somebody who's hurting or we see the need a lot of times we are moved to compassion to help them. If we actually see what's happening, I mean, if you see somebody who's laying on the side of the road and they're bloody, like the Good Samaritan story, you know, there are some people who won't help, but a lot of people will, like that Good Samaritan story that Jesus tells. A lot of people will pull over and help. When we actually see the need, we're moved to compassion. But it seems like it's different when we don't directly see that need. Seems like we're not moved to compassion as easily if we don't actually see what's going on. As a matter of fact, there, there's a term in the social sciences for this dynamic when we don't actually see what other people are going through, and it's called fundamental attribution error. How's that for the word of the day? We've had a few of those during the series. Fundamental attribution error, and, and here's what it means from the Harvard Business School. The fundamental attribution error refers to an individual's tendency to attribute another's actions to their character or, or character or personality while attributing their own behavior to external situational factors outside of their control. In other words, you tend to cut yourself a break while holding others 100% accountable for their actions. 
For instance, if you've ever chastised the quote-unquote lazy employee for being late to a meeting and then proceeded to make an excuse for being late yourself that same day, you've made the fundamental attribution error. Isn't this great? The fundamental attribution error exists because of how people perceive, see, the world. While you have at least some idea of your, of your own character, motivations and situational factors that affect your day-to-day, you rarely know everything that's going on with someone else. Isn't that good? And so we can see our own struggles that caused us to be late for the meeting or that makes it tough in a relationship or just the mundane things that we all go through every day. We can see our own struggles and motivations, but we don't necessarily see those in other people. So we tend to, when we don't see them, we're not moved to compassion and kindness toward them. So we tend to just assume that something's wrong with their character. So if they do the same thing we do, hey, you know, it's understandable because all the stuff we're going through and external factors, but if they do it, we, oh man, that person's just bad. And so I, I've committed this like you lots and lots of times. So if I'm, if I'm driving along the road and somebody cuts me off, they pull out in front of me, I think, man, what a, what a jerk. Couldn't they have waited like two more seconds? There's no car behind me. And I could have gotten past and I wouldn't have to slow down for them. If they had just waited two more seconds, they could have pulled out behind me. And then the next time I'm waiting to turn right, I see a car coming. I'm like, oh, I think I can make it. And they just pull out. And so... I I attribute bad motives to them. Man, what a jerk. I can't believe they did that. But when it's me cutting somebody off and doing the same thing, I think, oh, I can make it. And And I cut myself some slack. Fundamental attribution error. We cut ourselves slack because we know what's going on in our own lives and the struggles we face. But we don't necessarily see that in other people, so we assume the worst And the the same shortcomings we have, they have. But when it's them, we think, oh, it's just something's wrong with them. Their character. What a jerk. Fundamental attribution error. But what if we were walking in the grocery store one day and we discovered all of a sudden out of nowhere, we, we instantly developed this superpower. And everybody that we saw in the grocery store we heard this voice, this omniscient narrator that actually told us the struggles those other people are facing. Every person we see, we could hear a voice that told us their, their battle, that they're fighting. And so just the same way you're going down the grocery store aisle and you turn the corner and somebody bashes their cart into yours and you think, oh man, what a jerk. They should have slowed down before they got to the corner. And and we assume the worst about them. But what if that superpower kicked in and you heard the omniscient narrator say, you know, they actually just got a text and they've been caring for their sick parent at home and they just got a text that that they really need them. Please come home as quickly as you can. And if we heard that, if we were able to see that person's battle that they were fighting, wouldn't we instantly be moved to compassion? Oh, you know, don't worry about it. Hey, Get home and take care of your family member. And they'd be like, what are you talking about? But we would instantly be moved and say, no, do what you got to do. Go. Don't worry about it. Go. Or, you know, the same way on the road. Somebody cuts you off and and you think, oh, what a jerk. I can't believe they're speeding like that. They're about to cause an accident. Slow down. You're not the only person on the road. And we make all kinds of assumptions about their characters. We don't see their battle, but then that superpower kicks in. 
and we hear the omniscient narrator, they, they just got a text and their child at daycare got hurt and they've been taken by ambulance to the ER or something. And you would think, oh my gosh, just yeah, hit, you know, get there. Do what you got to do. And we would be moved to compassion instantly. It's not like we would have to try to be kind and compassionate. We'd be moved instantly if, if we saw the battle they were facing. Be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a battle. You've probably seen this meme that went viral during the pandemic when people were kind of saying, you know, oh, we're all in the same boat. And somebody sent me this meme. It says, we're, we're not all. Do you, have you seen this? Do you remember this? We're not all in the same boat. We're in the same storm. Some have yachts, some have canoes, and some are drowning. Just be kind and help whoever you can. The pandemic highlighted that division in society, that lack of equality in society, that, yeah, we're all in the same storm, but we're not all in the same boat. For some of us, this is easier than others. Some of us are, are barely surviving. Many did not survive. But what do you do when it's hard to be kind and compassionate to some people? When, when yeah, you see their battle, but then there are other things about them that you just don't like. Again, you can't have a relationship with everybody. And it doesn't mean that you have to like everything about everybody. Of course not. There are things we don't like about ourselves. We're not going to like everything about somebody else. But I love this story about kindness and compassion. On June 7th of this year, Crystal Dunn, who lives in Louisville, Kentucky, won $146,000 in the lottery. And I have a photo of her. She's a 42-year-old single mother of three children. The next morning, she went to the lottery office to collect her winnings. And then she drove over to the local Meyer grocery store. And listen to what she did. She, so single mom, 42 years old, three kids. You can imagine, I mean, she's lived the same experience of life we have over the past few years. She just won $146,000. She drove to the grocery store and she bought 20 $100 gift cards and just handed them out to random strangers over the store. And she actually asked permission of the manager to go around and hand out these, these 20 $100 gift cards after she won the lottery. And the Washington Post quoted her. This part won't be on the screen, but in a second, I'm going I'm to show you something on the screen. But here's what she said. She said, I had a very hard childhood, explained Dunn, who from the age of nine moved from foster home to foster home. She ran away at 16 and has taken care of herself since. I went through a lot of things that kids should never go through, she said, adding, I have gone without many things. Despite her difficult upbringing, Dunn was determined to pave a better path forward. She put herself through college and found a stable job at the same health insurance company where she still works today. And then look at this quote from her that will be on the screen. So Crystal Dunn, this lady who, who gave out these gift cards with her lottery winnings, says, no matter what life you have, you do have a what? Man, what a powerful word. You have a choice. And you can make decisions to make it better and to make a positive impact on others' lives, she said. You just have to push forward. You do have a choice. Isn't that good? When it's hard to show kindness and compassion to some folks, 
if you are willing to see the battle they're fighting, and, you, and that, that you're moved to compassion, and at the same time, there are things about that person you don't like, there's relationship residue, or there are things that are just, frankly, bad. You're, you're not going to like everything about everybody because you shouldn't. Sometimes people do things that are wrong. shouldn't like those things. But even then, it's a choice to be kind and compassionate. Once again, it's not excusing things. It's not brushing things under the rug. It's not, it's not, it's not just being silent in the face of oppression. That's not what we're talking about. Silence benefits the oppressor. We're not talking about that. We're talking about what's going on in our own hearts, to be kind and compassionate. It's a choice you make. To be kind and compassionate is a choice you make regardless of what other people choose. Isn't that powerful? Regardless of what other people choose, in verse 32 it says, be kind and compassionate, implying you can. You're able to make that choice. And it's really the only, it's the only choice we can make in the times that we live in that won't just cause our society to completely descend into hell in a civil war. The only sane, reasonable choice that decent, good people have at this point in 2022 America is to be kind and compassionate regardless of what other people choose. And it counters fundamental attribution error. It doesn't excuse their behavior, but we can see their battle. We can imagine, we can listen, we can hear and counter that that fundamental attribution error and show kindness and compassion. It doesn't mean that we don't speak out against the hatred, the racism, the bigotry, the inequality. We speak out against that because we love people who are victims of that. And at the same time, all of those people who are hating and oppressing others, they can't make us hate them. They don't have that power. We don't have to give that power to them. The people who are attacking the Capitol and and waving racist flags, no, we're going to speak out we're, we're going we're gonna to speak for what's right. We're going to stand up and be counted in the times we live in. But those people do not have the power to make us hate them. We can choose to be kind and compassionate. There's a, a pastor and an author that I've admired named Rob Bell. And he said it like this. I love everybody and you're next. And there's nothing you can do about it. We can choose to be kind and compassionate. Think of all of the, up, the upheaval in our country right now and the power that we have to choose to be kind and compassionate. I'm going re- to wrap up my part real quick and then we're going to get to this interview with Carrie Wester. As an example here, just a couple of examples we have coming up here at the well. On October 1st and 22nd, we're going to have a learning opportunity, a chance to see what life is like for some people who are in the news all the time, but their fight isn't in the news. They're used as a political football and these are people who are at the border. We're just a few hours away, and and we're calling this the Border Connection Trip, and we're exploring local and regional and and global missions opportunities, ways that we as a church can partner with organizations who are doing good things, and we can show kindness and compassion and partner with God to make a difference with our lives. And, And as we explore these, you're invited to travel with other members of the well to Nogales, Mexico, to meet folks who are seeking asylum and organizations who help them and who serve humanitarian needs. A lot of people may not know in the times we live in. The laws of the United States invite people to come to our border seeking asylum. You may not know that. We have laws that invite folks from outside of the country to come to this country. 
if they're fleeing violence and, and persecution, and seek asylum here. That's part of the law of the United States. And so these folks are used as a political football, of course, in our, in our society. But we want to learn. And I'm there. I mean, I'm the first person on the bus. We want to learn what life is like. And so on October 1st and 22nd, you have the opportunity to go down. These are Saturdays. We'll leave early in the morning. We'll come back. Cost is 25 bucks a person. We can only take 15 people each trip. And we're going to have a sign-up on August 28th here on Sunday morning uh, where you can sign up for one of the two trips. If you're online, you can uh, email us at info at wellchurch.org, and we can sign you up if you're here local. Um, and then there's a required 90-minute Zoom training class on September 13th. Minors 12 and up are permitted to go with uh, a parent or guardian. The host organization has asked that everybody who goes has received the COVID-19 vaccine. And, of course, you need a passport because we're going to cross the border. And then after we come back, we're going to have a series of table talks to talk about our experience where people are allowed to share what they want to share. And then in addition to this, we're also serving or, uh, researching local serving opportunities where it's not just at the border, but local things we can do in this area. So we're exploring how can we be kind and compassionate in a controversial issue in this country. But a lot of times people don't know the laws that we have on the books. But we, we want to be the kind of a person who makes life easier for other people because we have a good heart. And one more thing before we get to the interview. As I said earlier, it seems like our society is getting colder. And there's a, a statement Jesus made that, that is well known. In the last days... Jesus said, see if some of you can finish this. In the last days, the love of many will grow cold. Now, I don't know if we're in the last days or not. But the statement that Jesus made seems to say that in times of chaos, in times of division, in times of fear and anxiety, when we don't know what the future holds and we know the, the, the present's painful, and we don't know what's going to happen, Jesus makes a statement, in times like this, the love of many will grow cold. And it seems like we're living in a time like that, where, where society is growing colder and more hateful, whether it's folks at the border or folks of a different race than us or just any different experience of life at all or any different view at all. And so we live in tumultuous times when, when violence and hatred seem to be gaining ground. And we don't know what the future holds. We don't know what this fall holds. I mean, the way things are, we don't know what tomorrow holds, the way things are going now. We've seen nationalism and authoritarianism in the past and what that's done in other countries, and we pray that doesn't happen here. But we need guidance, and probably most of all, we need hope. And so next Sunday, we're starting a brand new series in the book of the Bible that probably speaks to times like this more than any other, the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. And hope often surprises us. And so maybe now hope is going to spring from the pages of this, of this mysterious letter sent 2,000 years ago to churches in the ancient Middle East, and perhaps a, a, a cryptic and at times just wild message that was sent to those followers of Jesus will speak to our hearts in the time that we live in. That we live in. So we're going to talk about those familiar questions around Revelation, like the mark of the beast, and the Antichrist, and the 144,000, and the millennium, and the last judgment, and, and, and so on. And so we're going to have fun with it. It's going to be a fun series. And at the same time, I think after this series, 
those of us who have questions about the Bible and you know, you know the Bible's relevance, maybe you're going through a, a journey in your own life, man, we're going to see Revelation is just scary relevant, it's eerily relevant to the times that we live in. So we're starting that new series in Revelation next Sunday. I want to invite you to come back for that. So, okay, enough of me this morning. I want to show you this, this interview that, that I recorded with a, a chaplain here who's a part of the well named Carrie Wester. She's a chaplain at Dignity Health, and I interviewed her about the kinds of struggles that everybody faces, all humans, and definitely over the past few years, the kinds of things she's seen as a chaplain. And in this interview, she talks about grief, and not just grief from losing somebody you love. All kinds of losses are grieved. We've, we've had all kinds of losses over the past few years. Loss of peace, disappointment, loss of relationships. All of those things bring grief. She talks about uh, mental illness and, and how uh, all of us can flow in and out of mental illness at times. She talks about substance abuse and just the difficulty of being human and living in the times that we, that we live in. This interview is, is several minutes long. It's about 15 minutes long. It's worth every second. It goes by quickly. And one of the reasons, I think, is that you think about your own struggles because you're fighting a battle, just like everybody else is. And as, as I interviewed Carrie, I had this experience where, you know how sometimes you don't know how much you're going through until you talk to somebody who's a professional, a, a professional caregiver, and their insight and their approach just helps you feel safe, and there's like this cathartic experience that happens, you know that you're talking to somebody who understands and you're in good hands and who, somebody who sees this stuff and knows how to deal with this stuff, that's Carrie. And you're going to have that experience as you watch this interview. So I'm going to read a quick bio for her and then we're going to watch the interview for the rest of the sermon. Carrie Wester has nearly 20 years of experience in healthcare. She served as a staff chaplain at Banner Behavioral Health in Scottsdale where she was the sole chaplain for patients with mental illness. Prior to that, Carrie was a member of the chaplaincy team at Seton Healthcare Family in Austin, Texas, and a volunteer chaplain at Cossuth Regional Hospice and Hospital of the Heartland in Iowa. Uh, Carrie has a wide range of clinical skills that include spiritual and emotional support, grief support, min- ministry in crises, spiritual group leadership, and the development of spiritual services and events. Carrie was an officer in the United States Air Force, 355th Medical Group at Davis Monthan Air Force Base in Tucson. After that time, she worked for the Southern Arizona Veterans Affairs Healthcare System. She also served as a professor for Ottawa University, where she instructed healthcare administration classes on leadership, cultural diversity, compliance, and regulations. Uh, Carrie has a Master of Divinity from Fuller Theological Seminary and a Master of Business Administration from the University of Colorado. Uh, She currently serves as the Manager of Spiritual Care for Dignity Health's East Valley Hospitals, and she oversees three different locations in a team of 12 chaplains. You're going to love this interview as Carrie talks about the experiences, the battles that we've all been fighting. So let's watch now, Carrie Wester. Carrie, thank you so much for being willing to, to share with us this morning. We really appreciate you being a part of the well. We're glad to, to uh, endorse you and your chaplaincy. We're thank thankful you. that you're a part of the well, and it's going to be uh, great to hear from you today. So um, first of all, um, if, you, if you could, uh, maybe this is the place to start. I suppose most people maybe have a vague idea of what a chaplain does, but, but probably don't know all that it entails. Right. So, so what does a chaplain do? 
Right. Uh, the word chaplain gets thrown around a lot and uh, there's um, different training for different chaplains. Now, hospital chaplaincy requires a significant amount of training. Uh, they're required to have a master's of divinity. They're required to have a uh, four units of what they call clinical pastoral education, and that can be done over a year residency or can be spread out. Um, and then after that, most of the time, hospital chaplains are required to get a board certification, uh, explaining how they meet various competencies. And the goal of all that, though, is to serve people's spiritual side within the hospital. And it doesn't matter if you have the same religion as someone, it matters that you can connect with someone, you can empathize with someone. And even if you don't have the same faith, you can help them in their journey with their spirituality. So sometimes people have spiritual distress that they need to talk out. They're afraid, um, any of those things. So we always say we cover spiritual and emotional distress is how we, we term it. Mm -hmm. and and there's a lot contained there because i mean you're, yes. you're encountering people at i mean some of the worst moments of their lives yes often often, often. so as that a chaplain absolutely and as a chaplain mm -hmm. i mean you've you've attended the deaths of many people yes uh, mm -hmm. you have walked with families through the worst moments of their lives in times of intense yes. grief in times of of uh mental and emotional challenges so what what are some of the things you you've learned as a chaplain walking with people through these kinds of experiences absolutely i mean we we know that everyone handles grief differently but then when you get into those moments even those moments you know some sometimes you've been at a death where the person has been ill and their family has expected it but um other times it's very sudden and and here's the thing it's all grief all of it is grief. And it just, the way we react sometimes is different and, and people react differently. So I've been with families who knew it was coming and still were almost in shock when it, when the death did come. And then I've been in families where um, it was a sudden accident and they were strong in their faith and, and praying all, all evening hoping for the best for their loved one. And so um, it just depends. And it depends, I think, too, on how a person, uh, their family system deals with grief. I, I come up from a family system that everyone would just love to ignore grief and just move forward. And that uh, I don't know if you can say that works well or not. I don't push it with them, but uh, I try, I try knowing this within myself, I, I've tried to work with that, but you know, you get the, the people who are in shock, you get anger, you obviously get sadness. Um, and, and you just, most of the time when people are in grief, there is no right thing to say. It is simply being there with them and letting them cry and letting them grieve without trying to rush them through the process. And one little bit of advice I have for everyone who's with someone who's grieving, never use the word at least, at least such and such, at least such and such. Mm. That is the worst time to use the word at least. That's great advice. That, yeah, it's not the time. Let the person grieve.
That's excellent advice. Even even little relational uh, words of wisdom like that can go a long way mm -hmm. uh, in relating with other people. So in in this in this message today, we're talking about the challenges that everybody faces, right? Grief of many kinds, yes. and also and also mental um, illness in our society. Mm -hmm. And and um, of course, there can be a stigma with that, even with that name. And um, so we know that there is a lack of mental health resources in our country mm -hmm. and, and there is this completely unnecessary stigma. Um, right. but what, what is the prevalence of, of mental illness in our population? Um, it is one in five adults struggles with mental illness of some kind. Now within those diagnosis, uh, the, the diagnoses that of those 20%, uh, a large portion are anxiety disorders. So that's uh, that seems to be the most common. But then we have one in 20 who struggle with serious mental illnesses, such as something like schizophrenia or bipolar. Those would be considered more serious mental illnesses. Mm -hmm. So, and you're right, it is um, a very stigmatized population. Uh, you know, nobody wants the psychiatric hospital on in their neighborhood. You know, that's... But they, we have to, we have to be compassionate and know that these people need help. And so, and and some of our, there are some movements going on, such as there's now a, a mental health crisis number that is nine eight eight. And so, if someone's experiencing a mental health crisis of of various kinds, they can call that number and get directed to the right place. Now, ultimately, the goal of that system is to. Uh, be like a 911, but for mental health crises. And they're going to have crisis centers set up um, to take people in if necessary. Uh, I'm very excited about that. I, I have a deep love for that, for the population of people that are struggling with mental illness. And so I'm, I'm working, I work at Dignity Health at the moment, and I, I'm trying to advocate uh, for us to help in, in the arena of mental illness, behavioral health issues. That's excellent. And so every, I mean, it's reasonable to assume that every human being is going to deal with grief Yes. at some point in our lives. And that mm -hmm. may be the loss of a loved one. It could be grieving other things. Yes, absolutely. Um, and then would it be accurate that, that um, we can ebb and flow in and out of mental illness? Sure. Uh, there are, you can have episodes that are deeper than others, um, especially things like depression, you might have a deeper, what I call a deeper episode of it, where things get really bad. And then you find the right treatment or something happens and, and you start to come out of the pit and, and feel a little better. So mm -hmm. absolutely. So mm -hmm. on any given day, as we encounter other human beings in our lives, there's a really good chance yes. that we're going to encounter somebody who is grieving somebody who is dealing with a mental illness, things mm -hmm. that we just are not aware of. Right. Absolutely. And so what kinds of misunderstandings have you encountered when it comes mm -hmm. to uh, grief and mental illness? What are, what are some of the things we can avoid? You already gave us that word of wisdom about never saying at least. Mm -hmm. What are some mm -hmm. other uh, misunderstandings that you've encountered? You know, I think one of the things I've encountered a lot with mental illness is is within the realm of substance abuse is that people blame the person 
uh, for their substance abuse. And I, it can be prevented, but once it's started, once someone becomes addicted to a substance, it is a change in chemistry in their brain and it becomes very difficult to stop. Not only that, but most people don't just start taking drugs or drinking alcohol um, for fun. I mean, some do, but the, the when it leads to addiction, it's usually because people are trying to um, medicate themselves. It, it is strong. There's a strong occurrence of both mental illness and substance abuse together, partly because I think because there's a stigma around mental illness, so people don't get the treatment they need, and then they turn to other things to medicate themselves. And so it it there's this, you know, um, there's people put uh, people who are struggling with addiction in this category that uh, they really need to be a little bit more empathetic because there's often pain behind that the start that what started the addiction. Mm-hmm. we forget that yes i mean I, I appreciate that that just and that that makes sense because if we view folks who are struggling with substance abuse as simply trying to medicate themselves yeah i mean it's it's easy to understand if if a person is facing grief or mental illness or some circumstances we're not aware of mm-hmm. how they would like anybody they would want to feel better and there are some who would would turn to a substance to help them do that I mean, mm-hmm. that, I think that view increases compassion. Right. Um, so and now we have grief, we have mental illness, we have substance abuse. These are just common experiences to humanity. Mm-hmm. And as we go throughout our day, we can, we can encounter folks who have stories we have no idea you know, that, right. that they have. Now, you combine that with the last few years that we've all lived through. The COVID nineteen pandemic, the yes, the, the cultural political situation in the United States, just the, I mean, some of the most anxious times probably in our history. What have you seen now, as as a chaplain? Uh, mm-hmm. What have you seen uh, during during the last few years, right? As far as the impact of grief and mental illness and just the struggle that you know we've all been facing. Yeah, the there. I was working in a behavioral health setting during the peak of, of COVID, um, as, but now I'm in the medical setting and, and listening to kind of the aftermath of it. And people are worn out. They're so worn out. And, it, you know, we're not done with it, but it has slowed down a bit. And I think people don't know what to do now. It, there's this, this lull. And all the stuff that I think has been pushed down has started to rise up again. And, and even people who didn't deal with um, the many deaths that occurred in the hospital, there were other things, as you said, to grieve about. There were graduations missed. There were funerals delayed. There were weddings that couldn't occur the way they, they hoped they would. Um, There were family members who didn't see each other for years. Um, because they didn't want to, you know, bring COVID to grandma who's 92, you know, so uh, those are all, all little things that we as a collective are facing that, you know, we, we all have some grief in us right now, every single person, whether it was working in healthcare or just being a human being missing those experiences. 
So, and, and then, you know, on the mental health side of it too, we had, we saw an increase of substance abuse. There wasn't as much support and people were getting isolated. We saw increases of, of things like obsessive compulsive disorder and, um, and people who didn't have their support system. I, I talked to many people who would say my whole support system was my church and the groups I went to, and now they're not meeting and I can't go. And, and so that really, it, it affected a lot of people in that way that were struggling with mental illness already. Uh, and so yes. we saw those kinds of impacts. We did a real, I think we did a really good, well, I should, shouldn't say a really good job, but we, we were trying to take care of the physical health of everybody. And I appreciate that. But then we also, I think, missed the mark at times with the mental health aspects um, mm -hmm. in that way. I mean, you know, AA meetings were canceled for a while. That really affects someone trying to stay sober. Yeah, cer certainly. We, I, I mean, nobody's going to disagree with you there. I mean, we've yeah. all felt the effects and seen what's happened over the past couple of years with, with folks in mental health and, and how that's played out in public and, mm -hmm. and so on, no doubt about it. And, and thank you for mentioning church communities too. That's, I mean, that's my next question. So here yeah. we are now in, in, on a, uh, in a church service. Uh, talking about you know the struggles that human beings face, how can churches, faith communities uh, help those who are grieving, those who are who are walking with mental illness, mm. substance abuse, uh, things that we may not see on the surface? How can churches mm. uh, help people who are walking through these things? One, I think we need to ask questions when we if we know someone and we know this is not their normal pattern start asking questions. You know, are you, what, what's going on? I haven't seen you around lately. You seem down. You seem like, you know, whatever it might be that isn't their normal pattern. You can bring that out to them and, and see what's going on. And then, you know, if you find out that someone is grieving, then it's, it's okay to let them do what they need to do. In other words, if they need to um, go and be alone for a while, let them be alone for a while, but then let them know you're there when they're ready. That's, you know, that's something I know for me, I often um, tend to isolate when I'm grieving and then come out when I'm ready and talk, but sometimes it can be taxing for people to talk about it. It can be draining for people to talk about their grief. Um, they feel like they have to put on a happy face because that's what everyone expects. Um, but it's really hard to do that when you're in a deep grief. And then as, as far as mental illness, um, I think our church does a good job in, you know, you, you promote, hey, you know, if you need counseling, go to counseling and those kinds of things. I've seen a lot of people who are, um, have deep faith who end up saying things like, I can, I can just pray and this will, God will help me and it will change. And or they'll say something like, I must not have enough faith because I'm going through this, or I can, I can just change the way I'm thinking. Well, mm -hmm. you know, this is, a, this is an illness. It's affecting your brain, essentially yes. your brain is an organ, right? So sometimes yes. medication is needed. Sometimes counseling is needed. And so I think just letting people know that's okay. And that it doesn't mean, like you've said um, in the past, that it doesn't mean that we don't believe God is helping. It means we believe God created good, smart people that came up with medicine and, you know, 
Absolutely. and counseling and, and methods to do these things and change the way yeah. our brain is working. So um, I, I think that's, that's a big piece of it. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for saying that, Carrie. I, I, that's such a breath of fresh air for a lot of people of faith to be able to hear that there is value in science and medicine and, mm-hmm. and, and medical professionals uh, right. to help, including yourself, uh, to, to help people. So how does all of this information help you to be more compassionate towards people? And how could it help all of us to be more compassionate towards everybody we meet? Yeah. You know, I think I've encountered a lot of, a lot of different people in a lot of different situations. Some, some people I I have done things that um, most people would cringe about and, and admittedly I have cringed about, but even in those moments that I'm trying to connect to them, I find the humanity within them. And, and that's, that's what we need to do. Every single person, no matter what they're going through, no matter what they've done, they are still a human being. And there's something you can connect with to them in that humanity. And that that's great. just part of being empathetic. Yes. So to see the humanity in everybody. In everybody, yes. And, and to be able to connect with them and, and show empathy knowing that they're facing things we're not aware of mm-hmm. uh, and being willing to listen and ask questions if we have a relationship with that person. And, and so Carrie, I, I can't imagine um, this is, this is one of the most important messages to get out. I think in the times that we live in, mm-hmm. and we all see the need all around us. And so yes. I, I appreciate you and the work that you're doing. Thank uh, you. I'm, I'm personally proud that you're part of the well. <laughs> and and uh, I appreciate you and, and thank you for, for sharing with us today. Absolutely. And thank you for being the lead to this community that is moving forward in, in a new direction, I think. And I, and I hope more of us follow. Carrie Wester, thank you so much. Thank you. Is that great? Thank you, Carrie, for that. So here's the action step. Before we pray, here's, here's the action step that you could take this week. Who is one challenging person you could see humanity in this week? And what would you see? Her last point she made, just to see the humanity in somebody else, you're not going to agree with everything. Some things you will vehemently oppose. But in order to have kindness and compassion and not hate them, who could you see humanity in? And what would you see? So whether it's somebody who's close to us, as we wrap up this series, a spouse, a friend, church friends, coworkers, etc. Whether it's everybody in general in society, everybody is fighting a battle. And Ephesians says, here's some relationship advice for us. Be the kind of person who makes life easier for everybody because you have a good heart. Let's pray. God, thank you for this message. Throughout this series, oh God, reconnect that we've been able to look at the scripture and, and see... Uh, relationship advice that that just saves people's lives that makes all the difference in the world that 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 can bring reconciliation wherever it's possible learning what forgiveness actually means being reminded in the in the uh, the tumultuous times we live in that violence is not the answer growing increasingly radical and attacking people is not the answer standing up and speaking up for what's right oh yeah that's the answer and also refusing to hate, to be kind and compassionate. 
For some of us, God, the struggle is, is expressing ourselves to a spouse or it's being able to listen to that spouse as they express themselves. Others, God, it's, it's trying to set boundaries where the relationship is not really possible and, and, and where the, the relationship is too toxic. We, you know, friends who have fallen into nationalism and we say, we, I love you, but I just can't go there with you. And maybe it's boundaries, maybe it's forgiveness. Whatever it is, God, may we take these scriptures and these action steps and allow your spirit to speak to us and bring healing in our relationships. And we thank you for what you've done already and what you will do through these things. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen. 